Um, so this morning, let's get right into our word. Uh, and so as per this being our business celebration, I'll call our business meeting to order. Now, uh, the first part of it is a devotion. So I'm going to preach this morning, then we'll have lunch, and we'll finish up. Uh, this morning, my message title is Faith It. Faith It. Matthew chapter 14, verse 28, very familiar story to most of us. Here's what it says. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately, everybody say immediately. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand, caught him, and said to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got in the boat, the wind ceased. May the Lord add his blessing to his word this morning. As I said, today is our annual business celebration. And, and really, it's not just about conducting business. It's a time that we get, to, um, we get to reflect on the goodness of the Lord in 2023. But it is also a time to dream about what could be. You see, I think this is where the church today, modern church, has lost it. We, we like to think about what used to be rather than think about what can be. And, and for us, you know, I've been here for 30 years now, and, uh, you know, we have a long history of, of excellence in our community in Johnson County. Uh, you know, I think about back to 1993, we had 30 people that, that uh, were here when I got here in, in 1993. I think back to them. Uh, here and, and today we have over uh, we have over 600 people that call Bethel home. I just wish they'd all come home at the same time. Um, <laughs> we we average we we uh, actually minister to well over 600 people every single month. Different people during the month. They just don't all come at the same time because here in America we go to church every third Sunday. That's considered normal. But anyway, that's another sermon. Um, so so I think back. God's been good to us. You know, we've seen the faithfulness of the Lord. We've seen God work in and through us. But, but here's what I want to say. God's not done with us. I, I can tell you from a, from, a, from a statistical standpoint, a 30-year pastor, being, being somewhere 30 years, is a, is a very rare thing in today's, in today's society. It's a very difficult thing. It's not bragging. I'm just simply saying the, stat, the, the data shows that a pastor who has been there 30 years, typically you're going to see the church that celebrates what used to be, not what can be that it would be so easy to lock into ruts that we just continue to do what we've always done. We continue to find those comfort spots and we just kind of just coast until I die or the Lord calls us home or something like that. But, but here's the thing, I'm not one of those types of guys. I'm not, that, that's not how I'm wired. Uh, I, I think that we always need to dream new dreams and we all, always need to have vision for what God wants to do. And listen, I believe this morning that if we can believe and are willing to work, there's not anything that cannot be accomplished moving forward. Again, we talk about, you know, I, I, I reminded the early service when that first Sunday when I, as a 27-year-old young man with, his, with a young family, showed up at this church. There were 30 people here. Most of them were over the age of 55 years of age. Not really a normal mixture or marriage, but it worked. We loved them. They loved us. And we had these old ladies, about 15 of them, that used to catch me every Sunday after service. And they said the same thing every single Sunday. And they would look at me and they would say, young man, back then I was, young man, God promised. And then they would quote Joel chapter 2, 
where he says God promised that he would restore everything that the pommel worm, I didn't even know what a pommel worm or a canker worm were. They're in the Bible. So he said, they would say, young man, God promised to restore everything the pommel worm, the canker worm, and the caterpillar has stolen, and the glory of the latter would be greater than that of the former. Now, now as a young 27-year-old man, ministry, still green behind the ears, still wet, I, I listened to these ladies, and I could tell you that after a few months of that, I started to believe in what they were saying. I started believing that with God, all things are possible, that there was not a mountain that was so large, there was not a valley that was so wide, there was not a river that was so wild that we couldn't get over to our promised land. There was just something about what they said that inspired faith in me. I would, I would go on to say that most of those ladies that pass, they passed on, they got to see God resurrect this body of believers. And we've gone on since they've passed to eclipse what they even talked about. And I'm just simply saying that today is not only a day that we celebrate and reflect on the goodness of the Lord in 2023, it's a day that we dream about the possibilities of what God's going to do for us in the future. You see, I really believe this morning the best days of Bethel are not what we did yesterday or last year or 10 years ago, but what's ahead of us. And again, if we can believe and are willing to work, you know, you know how they built, built the wall in Jerusalem in Nehemiah's time? You remember what it says about them? It says they had a mind to work. They had a mind to work. If we have a mind to work, if we believe that with God all things are possible, there's not anything that cannot happen. Listen, just outside the doors of this church, there is a, a field that the Bible says is white in the harvest. That means it is ready to be reaped. And nowhere in Scripture are we told that we are to pray for that harvest. It is, we are told to pray for the laborers to go out and reap the harvest. And what I'm saying is that the best days of us are not behind us, ahead of us, if we can dare to believe and work. How many know ministries work? And if we're not working, we're not ministering. It's work. So many people miss the the opportunities of ministry because it comes dressed in coveralls and looks like work, right? Years ago, I began this little phrase. I started saying this little phrase when I found myself in an impossible situation. And here's what I would say. I would just say, just faith it. Just faith it. You know, you go to the doctor and they say, well, I'm sorry, we don't know what's going on. Just faith it. You have a, a notice come in that says, we're going to foreclose on your house. Faith it. And, and what it was is, here's the thing, my point was, sometimes life hits us with an impossible situation and we are at a loss as to our next step. You ever been there? You don't know what to do. I mean, maybe, maybe you're here this morning, maybe you came today because you find yourself in a situation where you don't know what to do. You don't know, do I go right, do I go left, do I keep moving forward, do I stay put? We all have those moments in life where we have no clue as to what we do next. You know, it's in those situations there when that happens, we have a response. We can either panic, we can become irrational. How many's ever done that before? Sure, I, I know I have. You know, we call those knee-jerk reactions, right? I've done some knee-jerking. I've done a lot of knee-jerking when I should have just kept my mouth shut and stayed put. But see, that's our response. When we find ourselves in a pickle, not knowing what to do, we, uh, again, we either respond by panicking like Chicken Little running around saying I, I, the, the sky's falling, 
Or we start making irrational decisions, not based on logic, not based on reasoning, just the emotions. We get caught up in a moment, and we start jumping through hoops trying to solve. Or we can faith it. That's our options. I can panic, I can become irrational, or I can faith it. And what I mean by that is that I can trust God, that I can trust that God has me. I can trust that God has me and that he will work all things together for my good. That's Romans 8, 28. You see, I have that, every one of us has that choice. If you're facing right now a situation that seems impossible, just faith it. Again, I, I'm not just saying that as mind over matter. I'm not, I, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying have faith in God. Jesus cursed the tree. The next day they come back, the tree's withered up. They said, why, Lord, look at the tree. He said, have faith in God. Have faith in God. When we face life's difficulties, I either run around panicking, I make irrational decisions, or I faith it, and I trust that God is working all things together for my good. Listen, it's not easy. Absolutely it's not easy, but faith is vital to our present and our future. Faith is a little word, made up of five letters, yet it's one of the most challenging things that you and I can do. It, we, it's hard to live out, is it not? See, the call of Christ is a call to live by faith. Everything we have comes by faith. In fact, Hebrews 11 says, without faith, it's what? Impossible. It's impossible to please God. Not, not, not remotely possible. In my Alabama colloquialism, not a smidgen of a possibility. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is an integral part of successfully living out the life God has called us to live. So what does faith do? Faith calls us to live, excuse me, faith calls us to see the invisible. It calls us to believe the impossible and to touch the untouchable. I, I did a funeral uh, this past week in at West Texas. I had to drive out and officiate a funeral. And, and uh, one of the things I said at the service, one of the things that I mentioned, he was a believer, he'd gone on to be with the Lord and and, and, and I said this, I said, you know what he has lived for all these years by faith, he now sees by sight. Amen. See, that's the life of faith. Faith calls me to see the invisible. I, I see a heaven I have not seen, ear hath not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those. I see by faith what God's prepared for me. But one day I'll see by sight. So it calls me to see the invisible, believe the impossible, and to touch the untouchable. And, and, and most of the time, the life of faith will ask us to step out into the unknown. It will ask us to push out a little bit deeper to stretch our faith to see the impossible. I, I really believe one of the Achilles heel of the modern church is that we like to dabble our toes in the, in the, in the shallow end, you know, where we can touch, where things are comfortable, when all along the Lord's saying, no, let go and get out into the deep. See, it's the deep that you got to have. You know, I always say this. If your dream is something you can do on your own, that's not a God dream. If I can accomplish my dreams with a little bit of in, uh, initiative and ingenuity, a little bit of planning, then, then that's not a God-sized dream. A God-sized dream, and again, I'm talking individually, and I'm talking about a corporate for the body of Christ. If a dream is something that we can do without Him, it's our dream. A dream that is God's dream is one of those things that's so dynamic and so gigantic, magnanimous, if that's not a word, I invented one, Curly. 
I mean, if 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 it's that large and if God doesn't help us, we fail, that's a God dream. That's a God dream. It reminds me of a story. There was a man being chased by a tiger, and he was running as, as hard and as fast as he could. And he, and he runs, and he, and he comes up on a cliff. And so he's standing there on this cliff, and this tiger's coming up behind him, and he's in a panic, not sure what to do. And he looks down, and just a few feet down from the top of that cliff, there, the rim, is a, lot, uh, is a limb that's growing out of that, of that cliff. So the man shimmies down a little bit, and he grabs hold of that uh, of that limb and he's hanging on for dear life because the tiger's still up there growling looking for his mid-afternoon snack. Well, while he's hanging there, a mouse comes out of one of the crevices and begins gnawing on that branch. So now the, pan- the man's panicking. He looks down to a thousand foot fall. He looks at the mouse gnawing at that branch and then the tiger growling uh, up top and he yells out, Dear God, if you're there, please help. I'll do anything you ask me to do. We've prayed that before, haven't we? Suddenly this voice comes down from heaven, says, you'll do anything I ask? The man said, yes, Lord, I'll gladly do anything you ask. Please save me. The voice from heaven replied, well, there's only one way to save you, but it's going to require courage and faith. Well, the man's hanging there. The branch is weakening. The mouse is still gnawing. The tiger's still up there, still a thousand foot fall. The man says, Lord, I'll do anything you tell me to do. Just save me. So the voice thunders from heaven, says, okay, let go of the branch. The man looked down at that thousand foot fall. He looks at that mouse, looks up to that lion or that tiger. And then he looks to heaven and he said, is there anybody else up there that can help me? <laughs> Don't we do that? <laughs> Don't we do that? We, God calls us to step out into the unknown, to the deep, and, and, and we, then we look at it and we think, oh, is there anybody? Can I get a second? Listen, second opinions are great for medical things, not when it comes to God. Second opinions are probably important when it comes to your medical care, but not following Jesus. Amen? In our text, Paul, excuse me, Peter is the guy that's in our, is the main character, right? Well, I guess Jesus is, but Peter is part of this narrative. His faith is being stretched. It's the middle of the night. The wind is, the tempest, the wind's blowing. They see Jesus. They think he's a ghost. He walks out there. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, then let me come out there to you. I've often wondered why the other people stayed in the boat. I'm telling you, sometimes the life of faith is a lonely proposition. They all had the same opportunity. Peter's the only one that said, hey, Lord, let me come out there to you. And, of course, we know the story. Why did the other people stay in the boat? Why are we prone to staying in the boat? Well, I think a couple of things. Number one, because the boat represents comfort. How many like to be comfortable? Yeah. How many have a comfortable chair at home? Anybody got a chair you sit in? You know, my dad, my dad had a chair. It was daddy's chair. You didn't sit in daddy's chair. I didn't care if he wasn't there. My dad was a firefighter, so every other night, every third night, he was gone. Don't sit in daddy's chair. That was his chair. It was like a sacred thing, you know. Don't sit in daddy's chair. I have a shirt. Anybody have a comfortable shirt you like to wear at home? I, I have a really comfortable shirt I like to wear. It's a holy shirt. Not, not, not because it's a religious thing. <laughs> it's just full of holes. 
Not long ago, my granddaughter come bebopping through the house, and I raised my arm up like that. She said, Papa, you got a hole in your shirt. And I said, I got another one right here, too. <laughs> it's a comfortable shirt. You come by my house, knock on my door, you're liable to see me in my comfortable shirt because I like it. It's, it fits, you know. Don't you hate breaking in stuff? You know, you, that's why we wear what we, guys, this is why we, we like comfort. How many of you go to a restaurant, they'll have 150 items on the menu. You order two. And you've been doing that for years. And you think, okay, today I'm going to try something different. No, you're not. You're going to order the same thing you did last week. I know, I'm the same way I do that. You know, I go to a restaurant and I think, I want to do something different today. And then I end up ordering what I ordered last time. Because we like comfort. We like mama's food. We like Aunt Betty's food. I like somebody's coconut cream pie. You know, we get comfortable. Every one of us has comfort zones. Ruts, really. <laughs> you know, a rut's just a grave with both ends kicked out, right? You do remember that. You know, the comic character. Anybody remember Linus from the Peanuts? Linus, Linus had a security blanket. And everywhere Linus went, he carried that blanket with him. Guess what? You and I have our own security blankets as well. They may not be visible, but we carry them around. I, I, I love watching babies. I love, you know, I, I love going to the nursery. I love watching babies. Some of the funniest videos you'll see passing around through social media, TikTok, things like that are of babies. They crack me up. And I love watching babies as they learn to walk. Isn't it an amazing thing? It's a fascinating thing to watch. I mean, because up to this point, that baby has relied and depended on everybody around them to get them from point A to point B. In fact, if that baby hasn't been figured out how to walk yet, that baby, when, it, when that baby's ready to go to another place, you know what that baby does? Just like that. <laughs> that's, that's a universal language of a baby saying, hey, time to go. You pick that baby up and you move it to wherever that baby wants to go. But that baby, innate in that baby is this desire to, to there, there's something gnawing at that baby that says, hey, you can't stay like that forever. You're designed to walk on your own and do, at that point, they seem impossible. I see Stephanie holding that little baby back there. That baby right now is cuddled in her arms, but one day that baby's going to get wheels. And, and it's only a short time when that baby learns to walk Gets, I call it getting wheels. When that baby gets wheels till they get this wheels, it happens like that. So that baby, I love watching babies learn to walk. You know, they, they're reluctant to leave their comfort zone, and you see that baby get up. But, you know, again, deep inside, that child knows that they got to they gotta learn to stand on their own. And you see that baby get up for the first time, and they're shaking in their knees, and they'll wobble this way, and They'll wobble this way, and they're unsure, they're unstable. And so what are they doing? They're constantly looking for things to grab. What are they doing? They're trying to steady themselves. Faith is similar. When a person is saved, when they're born again, it's kind of like an infant that is in full discovery mode. All of a sudden, you know, and I love seeing people that have never had a relationship with Christ. You know, we get, we get corrupted. We get corrupted. You know, I love seeing raw people, people that have no affiliation whatsoever. They're hungry. They're like sponges, and they, they soak it up. 
and they're learning and they're, they're in full discovery mode and they're understanding that when they pray, God listens and God responds and, 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 and it's an amazing thing to walk, uh, to watch. However, that faith that they have from that point has to grow just like the baby. That baby's not designed to live in its infancy. It's designed to grow and to mature. Same thing with our faith. When we are born again, we are an infant. Again, I don't care. One of the gripes I've had about Christendom is we let some superstar get saved in the next week. We want them teaching a class. That's wrong. They're babies. Would you go in the nursery and let that baby teach you a Bible study lesson? No, they don't know. They don't know. That's been one of my gripes with Christendom in the Western cultures. We get super, we're starstruck. We, we just admire super uh, special people. And we want to send them, to, I, no, I want them to learn first. Learn to walk. Learn to study. Learn to hide the Word of God and learn to contextualize things. But you know what? we got to grow. Our faith has to grow. And unless we leave our comfort zone, unless we're like that baby and we let go. Paul, man, think about all the letters that Paul wrote. Paul used to write letters to people and he said, you know, you ought to be more mature than what you are, but you still need, you know, you should be on the stake and you still need mashed, you still need mashed up peas. You still need milk of the word. He was always on them because they were not growing. See, I think a church is dead in the water if we don't look out and see the deep things of God and take risks. I'm telling you, Bethel's got a future ahead of us, but it's going to require, listen, in this day of inconsistency and, and, and complacency in our culture today, if we want to buck that. Listen, I want to pass on to my, my grandchildren a church that is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. I was telling early service, I still have a dream this morning. I still, see, I still have a dream of wheelchairs and people in crutches and, 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 and all kinds of people that are brought here because this is a hospital for the hurting. Amen? I still have that dream. But you know what? We've got to be willing to get out of the comfort zone, resting on 30 years. Again, it goes beyond that. But for my 30 years, we've seen the faithfulness and the goodness of the Lord. I don't want to rest on what he used to do. I want to talk about what he's going to do. The second reason that we're reluctant to get out of the boat is because we're afraid. What will people think? What will they say? If I go and ask about this ministry, I had a lady this week come in and talk about a new ministry. I'm excited about that. All the ministries of the church started because somebody felt inspired to do something. But if I, if I give in to fear, I'll say, well, what if nobody shows up? What if they don't like me? What if this? What if that? Well, what if? <laughs> what if? You know, we, we fear what others might say. We fear failure. In Peter's case, Peter could have, he could have stayed in the boat like everybody else. He, he risked fearing drowning, right? There was an email circulated it's circulated several times, but I thought it was pretty cool. It says, how to stay safe in our world today. So here's some, here's some things. If you want to be safe, not be afraid, here's, here's a few things. Number one, avoid riding in automobiles because they are responsible for 20% of all fatal accidents. Well, here's another one. Don't stay at home because 17% of all accidents happen at the house. Avoid walking on streets or sidewalks because 14% of all accidents occur to pedestrians. Avoid traveling by air, rail, or water because 16% of all accidents involve these forms of transportation. Of the remaining 
32% of all deaths occur in the hospital. So above all, don't go to the hospital. <laughs> but here's the good news. You'll be pleased to learn that only 0.001% of all deaths occur in a worship service. <laughs> what? <laughs> so what, what's the moral there? <laughs> and, and, and of those, the majority are from a, a previous physical disorder. So, so the reality is, logic tells us, the safest place to be at any given time is in church. <laughs> Seriously. If God, if God calls us to step out of the boat, step out. Step out. He's prepared. So, so when he told Peter, he said, Peter, you know, Peter said, Lord, if it's you, ask me to come. Tell me to come out there. Wasn't a big word. It was just one word. C-O-M-E, come. That was Peter's word. It was a rhema word. It was a word for that moment. And embodied or encapsulated in that word come was the ability to do it. So what I'm saying is if God tells us to step, we step. Because in that stepping, we have the power to do what he said. That's it. It is the ability to do. God never calls us to do something we're not able to do. That's a good place to say amen. He will never ask you to do something that he hasn't already prepared you to do it. Peter, walk on the water. Well, I can't, Lord. Well, I told you to come, and in that word come is the power to do it. And so Peter stepped out and did the impossible because God gave him the power to do it. He prepared a supernatural ability to do what nobody else. Peter's gone down in all of eternity outside of Christ as the only man who's ever walked on water. There won't never be no another one for my southern dialogue there. There won't never be another one. Because he said, Peter, come. But you know what? He might be calling you to step out into something else. And if he says, start that ministry, jump in that ministry, enhance that ministry, open your home, do this, do that, you know what? He gives you the ability to do it. He gives you the power to do it. You know, it's the same thing. When in the, in the very beginning, you remember how God spoke the world into existence? It was the same thing. It's a rhema word. He said, let there be light. And guess what? Boof, there it was. There it was. It was a rhema word. It spoke, and the power was there to do it. And God calls us. Don't, don't fear. I know it's frightening, and, it's, and it's, it's unnerving sometimes, because God calls us out in places that unless he's there holding us up, we're going to sink. The third thing is we're reluctant to get out of the boat because of doubt. Because of doubt. You know, again, I, I would, if I was Peter, and I, I, it doesn't say that in the narrative, but but. There's something in me that believes that Peter paused for a moment like, did I really hear that? <laughs> I mean, again, you're stepping, you're, you're, can you imagine him out there on the water? The storm is raging, the boat's topsy-turvy. <laughs> Sees Jesus said, come on out here. You ever, God ever asked you to do something that was so out there that you had to ask, is that really you? Is that really you? See, sometimes God asks us to do, again, if God asks us to do something we can already do, we don't need Him. But if God's going to ask us to do something, I mean, think, think about ministries. What? Don't doubt Him. If you know you've heard the voice of God, is it really, I mean, think about it, Peter, is it really possible to walk on water? Well, I mean, if He says so, yes. 
I came across this poem I thought was pretty cool. It's titled, I don't know who wrote it, the title of it is Don't Quit. It says, when things go wrong as they sometimes will, when the road you're traveling seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high and you want to smile but you have to sigh, when care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't you quit. Life is, a, life is strange with all its twists and turns, as every one of us sometime learns. And many a failure turns about when he might have won if he'd stuck it out. Don't give up, though the pace seems slow. The pace seems slow. You may succeed with another blow. Success is failure turned inside out. The silver lining of the clouds of doubt. You never can tell how close you are. It may be near when it seems so far. So stick to the fight when you're, at the, heart, when you're the hardest hit. It's when things seem worse that you must not quit. When things seem the worst, you must not quit. Listen, I've already read the obituary of the modern church. Our culture today has said the church is not relevant. It's not important. We could get along without it. In fact, in today's America, the church believers, if you're a, a Bible-believing Christian, you've been labeled a terrorist, a domestic terrorist. I've already read the headlines, and I've read the obituary that says that this gathering here is of no value and of no importance. But I've also read with the head of the church said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I have witnessed in my 58 years of life God building His church in spite of moral failures, in spite of embezzlements, in spite of divisions, divisiveness in the body, in spite of an unwillingness to be faithful, in spite of all these things, I've witnessed Him still building His church. There have been people throughout history that have said in a generation, this book will be no more. A generation came and went. The Bible's still here. Their house has been turned to, it was turned to a printing press to print the Bible. They're in the ground. The Bible still lives on. I'm telling you this morning that the church of Jesus Christ is still alive and well on planet earth. And there is a need for the body of Christ to have faith and believe God. Listen, I, I, I just, I'm a church man. I'm a church man. I believe in the power of the church. It's not a place that you run to when things are falling apart in your life. Oh, yeah, we can do that. It should be a place where we're connected, where we find brothers and sisters in the Lord on a common journey, where we're walking through this thing called life, journeying together, where we have our battles and we have our ups and our downs. And right now I might be going through something, but there's a brother over here who encourages me. There's a sister over here that ministers to my wife. And as we fight together, we get through the tough times of life. That's what the body of Christ is all about. That's why we need the church. Listen, in this darkness of our day, confusion abounds everywhere. We need the clarity of a church that is being built by the Spirit of the living God that's not afraid of the gospel of Christ but understands that it is the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. That's the, the time to, that we live in demands a church like that. Listen, we've got to be willing to step out and say, God, we'll go. God, will serve. 
We'll do, we'll give, we'll do whatever we can because you know what? One day, the Bible says work while it is day because night comes when no man can work. What I'm saying is that one day what you and I get to do right now, we'll do no more. There's only one thing we can do here on earth we can't do in heaven. Listen, I like to worship and I don't care how wonderful the worship set is. I don't care how emotional it makes you feel. We're going to worship in heaven and it'll be purer than it's ever been before. And we're going to worship not just with the handful of folks here. We're going to worship with the saints of the ages. And we're going to bow down and worship the Lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. It's going to be glorious more than you can even imagine. We're going to worship up there. But you know what? We can't reach lost people there. We can't. And so what we do, we have to do now. And we can't keep resting. And I, I, I thank God for this church, your heart, your service. For 30 years, there's no grass growing under my feet. I'm not going to let it happen. As long as I'm able, we're going to keep working. We're going to keep serving. We're going to keep looking for ways. We're going to keep welcoming new families in. We're going to keep starting ministries. Listen, ministries come, ministries go. They have a season, they'll live out their season, then it'll transition to something else, and then something else, and then one thing will come back around. But this is the life flow of the church. It's healthy, it's alive, it's well. Listen, I believe that God has some great things for us. We're reluctant to get out of the boat for all kinds of reasons, but I'm saying we need to get out of the boat. Why? Because risks lead to rewards. Risks lead to rewards. Some person said to laugh is to risk appearing a fool. To weep is to risk appearing sentimental. To reach out to another is to risk getting involved. To expose feelings is to risk exposing your true self. To place your ideas, your dreams before the crowd is to risk their loss. To love is to risk not being loved in return. To live is to risk dying. To hope is to risk despair. To try is to risk failure. But risks must be taken. Because the greatest hazard in life is to risk nothing. The person who risks nothing, does nothing, has nothing, and is nothing. They may avoid suffering and sorrow, but they cannot learn, feel, change, grow, love, or live. They are charmed by their attitudes, but they are, but they are a slave. They have fortified their freedom. Only a person who risks is free. What's he calling you to do? There were three men in the Old Testament that were lepers, that were not even welcomed into the village. They're starving. They sit there on that side of the road and they're starving and they know they're starving. They can't go in town with other people. It just so happened that down the road there was an enemy camp, the Assyrians. And they looked at each other and they said, why sit we here until we die? Why are we sitting here? If we do nothing, logic is, if I keep sitting here doing nothing, I'll die. If I go into the village to my people, they, they've already kicked us out. Leprosy is something that you can't, we can't be, we're not welcome there. Or we can go into the enemy's camp and maybe perchance they'll have compassion on us. Unbeknownst to them, that God has sent in an angel to clean them out, take care of the enemy of Israel. So these, these three men, these lepers, go into the Assyrian camp. They decide we can't just keep sitting here. They go into the enemy's camp. 
They're gone. It's vacated and everything's still there. And they're overwhelmed. And they start feasting, hoarding themselves. And then it dawned on them and they said, hey, we don't do well. There's people starving back in our town. We need to let them know. What I'm saying is, church, we can't sit on what used to be. Because there's a starving world outside the doors of this church. While we feast Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. While they starve. We do not do well. Are we willing to take the necessary steps and risk to possess our inheritance? We're either going to accept them or we're going to avoid them. At some point, we will call, be called upon to take risks outside of our comfort zone. It might involve our finances. It might Listen, God may be calling you to give beyond your imagination. He might be calling you to work, to serve, to lead a ministry. Or it may be something as simple as living out your faith in your daily life. Second thing, and I'm closing, guys, come on back. Another reason we need to get out of the boat is because our faith will grow. Faith is similar to a muscle. Similar to a muscle. You don't use your muscles, they're going to atrophy. They're not going to develop. You know, I, I hate to pick on my wife, but, but, but Sheila, when she had her stroke, she's wheelchair bound, she can't use her legs. And you know what? You know what's happening? Her legs are drawing up like this. We're working with her doctors trying to get some way to figure, fix that for her so she can stand, but she can't bear weight on her legs. You don't use muscles, they atrophy. They put injections in her arm that's paralyzed from that stroke. They, she goes every six weeks or every, every three months, she gets Botox in her arm that's designed to keep those ligaments loose because she has no muscle tone. And if you don't do that, what happens is the body naturally draws up. Her hand, her arm would be just like this, locked, if they didn't do those shots. I'm saying our faith is similar. We've got to exercise that faith or it shrivels away and we can't do anything. And the last reason we need to get out of boat is because Jesus is there. <laughs> Listen, if he leads you to it, he'll always see you through it. He'll always prepare a way. Listen, I don't know what you're battling right now. You know, you got to understand, Jesus wasn't a mild-mannered person who lived in the prison of his own fears and comfort. In fact, the Jesus I know was an adventurer. He was, I mean, he enjoyed the adventures of life. He was always pressing the limit of human reasoning. Listen, when we allow ourselves to be stretched, I made a joke one time, or a statement one time, and, and there's, you know, I don't mean anything about it. Again, don't read between the lines. You know, everybody talks about all the miracles that happen overseas. You know, I, I've seen, I saw a guy in, in uh, Cancun, Mexico, old Cancun, years ago, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, back in that time frame. We did a, we did a, a citywide crusade in the old, old, we rented out an old soccer stadium in Old Town, Cancun. Every night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we did a crusade there, citywide crusade. Churches came together, put on this massive crusade. We had altar calls every night prayed for people. I saw blind eyes open. I saw people that were deaf here. This man on Monday night was pushed in in a wheelchair, been in that wheelchair for 30 years. Every night he came down for prayer. 
I don't know Spanish. I, you know, they, they're asking me to pray for this guy. And the only thing I can say, in the nombre de Jesus. <laughs> Pretty good right there. Gloria, Gloria. <laughs> Our Dios te bendiga. That means God bless you. <laughs> That's all I could say. We prayed for that guy every single night. Same thing. He'd be pushed down there, pushed down there. You know what he did on Friday night? He pushed his wheelchair home. People say, why does it happen? Why does it happen in, in Canada? I mean, excuse me, in, in Cuba? First time I went to Cuba, I met with the local church, the, 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 the national church there, and they were talking about things that happened in their service. They, again, it's a socialist country. You know, they, they don't have doctors, they don't have medicine, they don't have dentists. And they were telling me about people in their church that were in the middle of service. And I know you're going to think this is weird. But listen, if God can make everything out of nothing, I don't think anything's beyond Him. They would, have, they would have cavities that would be filled in the middle of worship. And they would talk about the, the power of God. I'm not talking weird stuff. I'm just talking about Jesus, the healer, meeting the basic needs. Listen, he wasn't a mild-mannered, locked-in-this-prison-of-fear type of guy. He pushed the limits. He said, you heard it was said, but I say to you. <laughs> and he was willing to say, you know what, if you're going to follow me, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. If you can't do that, you're not worthy of me. You preach that kind of message in America's church, it'll empty the crowd. You know what? It did the same thing for him. It, he lost his crowd. Because everybody wants to come and follow a Jesus that's a genie in a bottle that will do whatever they ask him to do. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible is one who commands loyalty, who commands commitment and dedication. In fact, to the point where he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom, but he who does the will of the Father. That's it. Listen, we step out of the boat because he's there. And if he's there, we can't fail. Dream with me, church. Dream with me about, again, on this day of business celebration, dream with me about the possibilities. I still want to see every one of these chairs filled with lost people that need Jesus. Charlie, I, I might want to take your seat one day and line up wheelchairs all over on the front here of people from nursing homes that need to get out and come worship with us. Let me dream of people that just drive by and all of a sudden they are compelled by the Spirit of God to stop. Say, I don't know what it was, but something told me to stop here. I want to see the young lady that grows up in a home that she doesn't feel loved, doesn't feel wanted, be able to come in here and feel accepted and loved and nurtured. I told the early service, used to be a young lady years ago, would come to church every Sunday. And every Sunday, I'd, she'd catch me right back there and give me a big old hug, and I'd hug her. And when I wasn't here, she'd catch me and say, you know what, I missed you. I missed your hug. And I said, well, you know, I said, there are other people. She said, no, you don't understand. She said, every week I look forward to that hug because I don't get hugs like that from other people. She said, most of the time, people that hug me want something from the opposite sex. She said, they want something. And she said, I crave a relationship, a 
hug from somebody that doesn't mean anything, doesn't want anything. I say that, it broke my heart. I say that because in our sexualized culture, there are people starving for human affection. And we've been warped to think that an affection given by another person of the opposite sex has a sexual connotation to it when it doesn't. This ought to be a place where people can come here and be free of, who, of what the world says they need to be. Single moms, single dads, children that are orphans, foster care. They ought to be made welcome here. Dream with me. Dream with me. Because you know what? Those kids grow up. Those kids grow up. And who knows what the next Billy Graham, Billy Sunday, D.L. Moody, Smith Wigglesworth... They may be sitting in among us. And if we just show them a little bit of love, a little bit of guidance, you never know. Dream with me. Let's rejoice on the past. Let's dream about the future. I want you to stand with me this morning. I know today, with it being business celebration, a little bit different. But I am going to do an altar call because you know what? Altars where things are altered. Listen, this morning, I want you to dream with me. But may, let me ask you this. What are you dreaming about for yourself? What is it that God has placed on your heart? Faith it. If you've gone to the doctor and the doctor says it's cancer, faith it. If the doctor says, I don't know what it is, faith it. If your husband doesn't believe, faith it. If your wife doesn't believe, faith it. If your son and your daughter turn their back on the faith, faith it. Trust God to work it out for you. That's what he promised. All things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. You're holding on this morning. Just grab hold and faith it as it'll come to pass. I believe with every fiber of my being. For 12 years, what's motivated me to push this woman around in a wheelchair is because I believe. Oh, I believe he could heal her right now. I don't have any doubt in my mind. I don't have any doubt. If he chooses not to, I'll still have faith. Because I know he's got a place prepared where she'll never have another. There'll be no wheelchairs in heaven. There'll be no hospice. That's what I got to look forward to. See, this world's not my home. See, the problem is we get comfortable here thinking this is home. This is not home. We're, we're just sojourners. We're pilgrims passing through looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. I live my life that way because one day the trumpet will sound or death will come calling and I'll find my home. What are you hanging on to this morning? What are you dreaming about? Have faith. Will it get better today? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. Have faith anyway. Here's what I want to do today. You're here today, and, and I'm just going to close with this. Guys, you sing here just a moment. If you need prayer this morning, maybe there's some things that you're facing right now. Maybe you're one of those that I've, I described earlier. Maybe you've had a week where people have told you you didn't amount to anything, that you're no good, that you're a failure, a disappointment. Listen, you are the apple of God's eye. You are loved by Him, highly favored by Him. And no amount of negative talk can take that away. 
Maybe you're struggling with a mountain that you can't seem to cross. Maybe a giant so big that he's got you shaking in your boots. Let us pray with you today. Let us pray that faith would rise up for you to dare to believe this morning. Just for a few moments. We're not going to prolong because I know we have lunch ready to go across the hall there, but I want to give time for prayer. If you need prayer, I want you to come and we want to pray with you. Go ahead. may be formed, but it won't prosper. When the darkness falls, it won't prevail. The God I serve knows only how to triumph. My God will never fail. Oh, my God will never fail. I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. Because the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. There's power in the mighty name of Jesus. Every war he wages, he will win. I'm not backing down any giant. Because I know how this story ends. Oh, yes, I know how this story ends. I'm going to see a victory for the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory for the battle belongs to you, Lord. There's power in the mighty name of Jesus. Every war he wages, he will win. I'm not backing down from any giants. Because I know how this story ends. Oh, yes, I know how my story ends. see a victory for the For the battle belongs to you, Lord. 
You take what the enemy meant for evil. You turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil. You turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil. You turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil. You turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil. You turn it for good. Turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil. You turn it for good. Turn it for good. Lord, this morning, come on. Lord, you take what the enemy meant for evil. And you turn it for our good. Listen, anchor in the truth of God's Word. Amen? What the enemy meant for evil, God will turn it around and make something good come out of it. Whose report do you believe? I believe the, His report. It says, I'm healed, I'm filled, I'm free. Father, today I love you and I thank you. Lord, let us dream again. From the youngest among us to the eldest one here. Let us dream of possibilities for ourselves, our families, and for this church. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness, your blessings. But Father, there's much work to do. So Lord, raise up warriors, laborers, Lord, to go out and do what you called us to do. I ask you to go with us now. Bless our time together in the Family Life Center. Bless the meal. Lord, and all the things that happened today, I thank you for again for your faithfulness and your goodness. Take us out of here. Give us a great day, great week. Bring us again the next time. In Jesus' name, we all said amen. Thanks for being with us online. I'll see you next time. God bless you, and I love you very much. You take what the enemy meant for evil. You turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil. You turn it for good. Turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil. You turn it for good. Turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil. You turn it for